If you haven't been with us, we are in the Gospel of Mark. Got my Bible over here. So we're in Mark chapter 10. So you can go ahead and turn there um, and, and find it. We're in Mark 10. We're going to be in verses 17 through 31 today. Mark 10, 17 through 31. And we're talking about um, the possible and the impossible. We're talking about following Jesus. And so, as we've been in the Gospel of Mark, we've looked at Jesus. We've seen and heard Him. We've seen the way that He interacts with people. And man, if there is somebody that you, you would long to be like, it's Jesus. He has a way of entering into a situation, seeing needs, seeing people for who they really are, and then meeting them in that place and offering them the best gift, which is Himself. And Jesus is just incredible. He's, a, he's the perfect human. It's what we all want to be like as we think about how we relate to people and how we relate to God. Uh, Jesus did both those really well. He related to the Father. He always knew who had sent Him and what He was there to do. But He also knew that the mission was the people. And so He interacted with them and met them in their places of need. Like I said, we're talking about the impossible and the possible. And for me... February and March are the most hope-filled seasons uh, of my year. The Mariners haven't actually started playing yet, so every year I think it's possible. This might be the year where we win the World Series, and my wife quickly tells me that's impossible. I said, no, there's only 32 teams, and the Mariners are one of those teams. They are a legit, still, major league team, so they could Go to the World Series and win it. It's possible. And she just smiles, knowing that come August, it will be impossible. From a mathematic, factual point of view, they will not be able to win the World Series. But what is possible and what is impossible? And Jesus begins to talk about, like, what really matters? The Mariners, they don't really matter. That's just that's my own struggle. Okay, But I wanted to share that with you, because maybe some of you, like, uh, like me, root for the underdog, and you just hope. You, you, you believe that the impossible might actually happen. Now, impossible is relative. Often we'll use impossible, and, and it's not actually impossible. It's just really not likely. But Jesus, when he says impossible, we need to understand that he's not just saying it's not likely. It actually won't work. And so what's he talking about when he says this today? Well, we're going to read it. In Mark chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 17, and I'm just going to read the first half to get us started, 17 through 22. It says this, and he was setting out on his journey, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I'm going to keep reading, we're going to read the whole thing. 
23, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the ages to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. God, we need um, not only your word, but we need your spirit this morning. Because we can hear this with earthly ears and um, it would not penetrate our hearts. But Lord, if your spirit would do a work in our hearts this morning, we would not only hear, but we would believe that this word is true. And so God, we ask, we ask with confidence because we believe that this is what you're doing, that your spirit is moving in the hearts of men to take hardened hearts and soften them. To take deaf ears and give them the ability to hear. And so Lord, we would ask that you would do that today here. And like Chris said throughout the world. We ask that you would do it um, just at at Pineda. We ask that you would do it in the other places where we have relationship. And and we're, we're laboring toward this end that we would see and know Jesus. Lord, we pray for uh Mongolia, Lord, and we go, and, and what's going on there, and that there's orphan children, that, that today they would hear the good news of Christ, that they would have ears that would hear, and it would bring them joy. God, we pray all over the world that your gospel would go forward, and that you would continue to build your church. So we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We pray that today we would uh, hear, believe, and then walk. God, that we would be obedient to what you're calling. We thank you so much. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that sometimes you get to a passage in Scripture and you read it, and it's a struggle. You read it and you're and you you almost think initially, man, I wish Jesus hadn't said that. But he did. And so now I need to go and say, well, what is what in my heart? is wishing that he hadn't said that, that I need to get through, that I need to move through and and really say, what am I believing that's not true so that I would see what Jesus says and take great joy in it? And maybe today this passage is is hitting you like that. Maybe you read the part where he gets to, he's disheartened and he goes away sorrowful and you're like, man, that's hard. Well, I pray that we would unpack that today, and then at the end of this, we would see these hard sayings of Jesus, and we would find joy there. So let's do that together. You see this man, uh, he's known as the rich young man because from a a composite point of view with all the different gospels, um, you find out that that there's a couple different 
adjectives used for him, rich, young, and, and we have it in Mark that he's a man. And he runs, setting, uh, runs up to Jesus, kneels before him, and asks him in this posture of humility, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so what we're given is this great question. It's a question that's not often asked, but it's a question that everybody, because we are made for eternity, we've talked about this made in the image of God, so we are eternal beings, our souls are eternal, have this need to know, God, what, what is it that, I'm gonna, that I need to do that I would have eternal life? And this, this man is very honest. And he comes in, in a position of humility, asks Jesus, who he's seen as a great teacher, this question. And Jesus uh, immediately establishes, listen, there's a reason that you're coming to me. And it's not just because I'm a good teacher, because there's tons of great teachers. There's tons of, of um, rabbis that are teaching at this time, and they have disciples following them. But this man has heard about Jesus, and he comes and he asks this question of Jesus. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. The beauty there is he's establishing, listen, if, if you call me good, and there's no one good except God alone, then there's something here that's true. And what we're going to find out is that Jesus first points him to the commandments that he knows, that, that everyone in the, in the Jewish uh, culture knows came from God. But then he gives him a new commandment to follow him. And so what we're going to see is this establishing again, as we've seen throughout Mark, that Jesus is coming and He's saying, listen, there's a kingdom that is coming and it's at hand. And I am the king of that kingdom. I am the one who has been sent to establish it. And I will rule and reign over it for all of eternity. So Jesus has said that He is the Son of God. And, and Peter's made that declaration that He's the Messiah. He's the one that they've been waiting for. right? And more people are proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God that we want. And even this man is proclaiming it, whether he knows it or not. Good teacher. There's no one good but God. So we start there. And Jesus says, he, he points to what the Father has already given him. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Listen, all of these are... Um, Action commandments, right? They're, they're things that require you uh, to, to not steal, to not lie, to not defraud. Defraud is interesting because we look at the rest of them and we're like, yeah, I know those are the Ten Commandments. Wait a second, that one's not, that one's different. Um, some commentators think that, that Jesus is taking the, the combination of stealing and lying and making it defrauding because this man is wealthy. What we find out is he has a lot of possessions has he ever come into those possessions by defrauding anyone? And so Jesus is asking, or is telling him what the commandments are. And then the man says, no, I've done all those. I got it. I'm good. Verse 20, and he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Um. I think for us, if you've grown up in the church at all, you probably have the idea and an understanding that you, don't, you can't be good. You can't walk in 
uh, all of the commandments of God. But, but it, at this time, listen, these, these people devoted their lives to following the commandments. And there was an idea that you could actually do that. That you could actually not break any of the commandments of God. And if you did, then you needed to walk through the sacrifice and the purification process. And then you would be made right with God again. And then you would go and you would not break those commandments. And so we need to, to have a more balanced understanding of this. Because I think that, I know for me, I think, well, I just can't do it. I can't follow all of them, so why try? And yet what we're seeing is we've been given this commandment by Jesus himself to come and follow him. And he followed all of them perfectly. And so it's not a, it's not a pie in the sky idea that you, when you follow Jesus, you would actually walk in righteousness. No, that's, that's what he's asking you to do. To walk in his way, by his grace, through his power, to walk in the righteousness of Christ. But what this man is bringing is not that. He's saying, in in and of my own righteousness. He says, I've followed all of those. But what were the commandments of God established for? The commandments of God were not established so that you would live a moral life. The commandments of God were established so that you would know God. They were given by God Himself so that His people would know His character. They would know that He is trustworthy and true. That he is righteous and pure and good. That's why the commandments of God are given. Not so that by following them you would be right. But so that you would know the one who is right. And so that's what we've been given. Is this, these commandments to know who God is. But this man is using them as a checklist. And we all do it. We all have different checklists in our head of what God has said. And if we just did those things we would be right with him. And this man is using that same checklist. He's saying, I've done all those, Jesus. And Jesus points to his heart because in his heart, he may have done all those from an outside perspective, but in his heart, he's trusting in those things rather than in the God that those things point to. And we see that. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, in verse 21, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. We can quickly read through that and just get to what Jesus says without seeing what he does. Often we say, hey, when we gather together as a church, we want to look to Jesus. We want to look and see who he is. But what we're given in this passage several times is what is Jesus looking at? What's important to Jesus? And Jesus looks at this man. And with incredible love and compassion... He says, you only lack one thing. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasures in heaven, which is a better place for treasures. And then come follow me. The invitation is the same as it was in the commandments. That you would know God. But Jesus has already said, I am God. There's no one good except God himself. You've called me good. I am God, come and follow me. Come be with me. Come see who I am. Come experience me. And so the invitation is the same. But what Jesus does is in that moment, he's, de- he's deconstructing some of that man's heart. He's exposing. What is that guy holding on to? 
that he won't let go of and come and follow Jesus. Today, we have the same opportunity to both see Jesus and as he looks at us, know that any question that he would ask us, anything that he would ask us to leave behind, to follow him, is being asked in love. Is being asked as, as an invitation, not as something that you just need to stop doing because it's, it's hurting you. Well, that probably is true, but it's actually, get, stop holding on to that thing and come hold on to me. But we just don't believe that he's that good. We just don't believe that he's worth it. We don't believe that he's better than whatever it is that we're holding on to. And so we need, we need to have our eyes open so that when he says it, we actually know that he loves us. As parents, you think about that. How many times do we ask our children to, to let go of something that we know is hurting them so that they can come and embrace this other thing that is good for them? And we say it in love, but they don't hear it in love. Jesus is saying the same thing to us, and he's saying it in love, but I don't hear it in love. I hear it as, what do I, what do I need to give up, rather than what do I gain? And then how much of it do I need to let go of? Like, is this enough? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where the, the, we're, we're always trying to, to mince words with Jesus, we're always trying to say, hey, what can I hold on to of the world and still have Jesus? And Jesus is very clear here. Nothing. It's all got to go. It's all got to go so that you can have me, so that you can have treasures in heaven, so that you can come and follow me. Which, if we're gathered here, maybe some of you are just curious but most of us, I think, would say, no, that's why I'm here, because I want to come and follow Jesus. But we live in this, in this age where we want to come and follow Jesus, and we want to hold on to the world. But the beautiful thing is that while this was for this man, it was his wealth, and so Jesus is calling him into poverty so that he has no wealth to stand upon. He's also exposing that while you may have followed all of the rules, and you might have this moral uprightness, you have missed knowing God. He's exposed that too. And so he's stripping this man of anything that he would be able to stand on in and of himself so that he can come to God. Bonhoeffer, in his uh, book, The Cost of Discipleship, sums it up this way. He says, the young man seeks an answer to his question. The answer is Jesus Christ. The young man wanted to hear the word of a good master, but now he has to recognize that this word is actually the man himself who he is questioning. The young man is standing before Jesus, the Son of God. The full encounter is present. The only choices are yes or no, obedience or disobedience. The young man's answer is no. He went away sadly. He was disappointed and had lost his hope, but he could still not abandon his past. He had a lot of property. The call to discipleship here has no other content than Jesus himself being bound to him, community with him. But the existence of a disciple does not consist in enthusiastic respect for a good master. Instead, it is obedience toward the Son of God. The invitation that Jesus is giving the man is obedience. 
Obedience not just to uh, the, the things that he had already been obedient to, but the obedience to a full letting go of all that he's holding on to and following Jesus. Verse 22, probably one of the most emotional verses of the Bible, one of the most, you read it and, and your heart just aches. It says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, I don't know if that's the end of the story. I don't know if, if he is sorrowful um, because he's going to have to give up everything, and so finally he goes and does it eventually. It doesn't seem like that from the rest of the way that Jesus teaches afterwards. But I also don't think that, listen, that we, can re, we cannot come to Jesus the first time we hear the invitation, and, and maybe we hear it for the thousandth time, and that's when we come. So I, I think that, you know, that in this moment, it's definitely sorrowful, but I would just say, listen, maybe you have people in your mind and you feel like they've already rejected Jesus because you've actually heard it and you've, you've invited them and you've called them and they've said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, the, the work is not over. Continue to go. Continue to invite. Continue to call. Because God's Spirit is still moving. He's still changing hardened hearts, softening hearts, and giving joy. But in this moment, this man is disheartened. What he's heard is, is too big of a cost for him. And so what we find as Jesus begins to explain it to the disciples, what does that mean? I think before we move on, we just need to, again, remember that for this man, the loving call of Jesus was to poverty because in that state, he would recognize his need. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus is calling the man to, to leave the thing that he's trusting in, but to come and be with him. The author of Hebrews understands that. Listen, you, you don't have any other loves except for Jesus. Because when you have Jesus, you have God himself who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Before we take this teaching and see it as, as Jesus telling everyone who has wealth or everyone who has possessions or everyone who has whatever it is that now you have to go and you have to get rid of, this is a specific call to this man to sell everything he had and come follow him. It was as specific as Jesus' call to the disciples where he, he says, listen, I see you in your boat with the nets in your hand. Drop them and come follow me right now. And they did. And so Jesus is calling all of us to something. He's calling all of us to let go of these things. Now, we may get these things back, and we're going to see that later on in the passage, but they cannot be our greatest love. I don't even know if they can be a love. Like They just have to be an expression of the love we have for God. James Edwards, in his commentary in the Pillar series, says, Jesus does not teach or uphold poverty as an ideal, but he does, as here, regard the awareness of need that results from poverty as a blessing. He goes on and he says, Anything that causes disciples to forget their poverty and childlikeness before God and that prevents them from following Jesus Christ, this too is a camel before the eye of a needle. We're going to get there. 
But what Jesus is calling them to is to letting go of those things and to following him in discipleship. And Jesus looked around, verse 23, and said to his disciples, again, Jesus is looking. Like he's seeing the people, recognizing their need. He says this, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples, as they usually are, were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? If this man, with his incredible wealth and possessions, and his moral uprightness who follows almost all of the law, can't get into heaven, can't have eternity, can't follow you and enter into the kingdom of God, then who can? Who can be saved? Because that dude, from an outward perspective, looks like he has what needs what we need. I love, man, thank God for these disciples and thank God for writing it down that we have their thoughts because we have the same thoughts. We're silly. We don't get it. And we can empathize with them and we see that later on God does this incredible work in them of establishing his church. And we, So just thank God for silly questions. Thank God for for voicing questions that we have. Then who can be saved? If this guy with all of the stuff that he has can't be saved, then who can be saved? Jesus goes on and he says, listen, with man it's impossible. But with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. When we see Jesus... We see God's perfect man. We see the, the one who embodies humanity perfectly, who walks in the ways that God had designed from the very beginning of creation. It says that he's the new Adam, the perfect Adam. And so when we see him, we remember what we were called to do and what we were called to walk in. And this perfect man is God himself. And we know from Philippians, Philippians 2, 4 through 8, Paul writes to the church there, and he says, let, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is impossible. It is impossible for us to walk in the perfect righteousness that God has called us to. It is possible that God himself, Jesus, would give up heaven, would come down, be born of, of a virgin, walk in humility, be humbled, be human like us, and walk in perfect perfection. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So God himself came and became man on our behalf. Jesus walked, went to the cross, died, 
He became obedient to the point of death. Listen, the obedience that Jesus is calling to is impossible for us. It's not impossible for Him. He walked in perfect obedience to the Father, even to the point of death. And at death, He paid the price for you and I. At His death, He atoned for our sin and our inability to walk in obedience. And even our desire to to not walk in obedience. He paid for that. And in exchange, He gave us His righteousness. And so before God, you and I today, we are not those... If we are in Christ, we are not the disobedient, rebellious children, but we are actually perfectly righteous before God because of the work of Jesus. Because of His atonement on the cross. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we stand before God perfect. And you're like, that's impossible. Not with God. With God, all things are possible. We see it. Jesus is walking out that perfect perfection and it's possible for God. By faith, we receive His grace, His righteous obedience on our behalf, and then we walk in that obedience with Him. We follow Christ. That's the invitation that He gave to the the rich young ruler. He said, listen, give up all those things and then come follow me. Walk in my ways. Live as I live. This is impossible for man. We can't obtain it through good deeds or moral works of the law because we fall short. We need something outside of us to do it for us. So God did for us what was impossible. Now this walking and following in Christ, following Christ in this, this is a spirit working in us. The spirit of God that dwells inside of each believer is is working to produce this righteousness, as we follow Christ, as we are disciples, the Spirit produces His fruit in our lives, conforming us and transforming us into Jesus' image. We see that in Galatians 5 where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It talks about the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We see it in Romans 12 where, where Paul tells us that we're going to be changed by the renewing of our mind to be transformed and conformed into the image of God. And here's the beauty of it. Jesus is saying, listen, this is both now and eternal. Peter began to say to him in verse 28, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father for, or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. The promise is in the context of obedience. Those who would follow Jesus and leave all else behind, that's the obedience that he's calling for. And then he says, listen, if you do all of those things, and I see you, Peter. I see you wanting to raise your hand and say, but, we, but what about us? We did it. Well, they're, they're doing it. Right? I don't know if they've done it yet, but they're doing it. They're walking in those things. And Jesus, in His kindness, says, I see you. I see that you've left those things and, and you've, you're letting go of the things that you would once held on to. And I tell you that in the context of obedience, you're going to get all of those things back and more. You leave houses, you leave family, you leave possessions. What you're going to find is that in the kingdom of God, you're going to receive family, like true family. 
You're going to receive possessions. And, and we look at Acts 2 and you, you look at the church that, that spawns from like immediately out of what Jesus has done and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And you see that church and you're like, man, not only were they family, but they shared everything together. What you had wasn't just yours, it was ours. And so this idea that like, how is that true? Like if I leave my family, I'm not going to get family. No, when you leave your family, you get the church. If you're, if you're called to walk in this, to follow Jesus, and you begin to follow Him, and, and you give up these things, God gives them back to you in ways that you can't imagine. And it's, so it's a, it's a now. Like even the question of eternal, eternal life, how do I get to that point, and what do I get there? No, Jesus says, now you get me, and you get the kingdom, you get the king, and you get the kingdom that He's building. You get the people that He's grafting into that kingdom. They become your family. You get possessions. You get lands that weren't yours. You look throughout the Bible and you see a, a bunch of wandering people who didn't have lands and God gives them place. That's the story of God and what He's doing. It's a now promise that as you follow Jesus, you'll receive these things. But He's going to redefine what family means for you. He's going to redefine what place. He's going to redefine wealth and possessions for you. And you'll realize that in Christ, I am rich. I have everything that I need. I don't need to hold on to those things because I have Him and I have the church that He's building. When you follow Christ into the kingdom of God, you receive not only the king, but the kingdom. All those who are in Christ become brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. And we see it in Acts 2. What a gift. Like, like that's, that's the image that Jesus has in his head as he's calling them and he's saying, listen, if you leave your brothers and sisters, if you leave fathers and mothers, you're going to get them back. I think we we don't see that as um, we think that that's an isolated event. I'll, I'll, I'll say it that way. In Acts 2, we get this picture and we think, yeah, but it can't, it can't be like that anymore. I think it can. I just don't like maybe it's a utopian idea. Some would say it's a socialist idea. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to get into that too much, but I just think that like this idea that, that we could share together in what Christ has purchased for us, both in spiritual, physical, tangible things, I think that's true. And so I would say, man, let's, let's press into that. Let's see what God has for us. What does that mean? But this beautiful society is not promised as ease or comfort, it actually says with persecutions. And I know, man, I'm seeing the kids and I'm going really long today. But I think we need to get this. With persecutions. If we follow Jesus, expect to follow in humility and persecution before we follow in glory for eternity. Because as Jesus is saying, come follow me, he knows where he's going. He's going to the cross where he will be rejected where he will be beat, where he will be spit upon, where he will be mocked and abandoned. And he's calling them to follow him to that place. And so we can't think that, oh, but the promise is all, I'm going to get everything back a hundredfold and it's going to be so good. Yeah, it will be good, but there will also be persecutions and it won't always feel good. It won't always feel like, man, I've got it all. It'll feel like, Persecution because the one who you're following was persecuted. The one who you're following was rejected. 
But then we also have the promise of eternity. If we need to know uh, that that's true, go to 1 Peter 4. Read how he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That's a reality that, that yes, we will have all of these things, but we will also have persecutions. And then finally, he closes with, that, but many who are first will be last and the last first. This upside down kingdom that he's been talking about. It's so different from how we value things and what we think priorities should be. Jesus has them completely right, and we have them mostly wrong. And it's an upside-down kingdom. It's not an upside-down gate, right? You don't just enter in backwards. You, you walk. If you are walking in the kingdom, you will continue to do these things. You will continue to let go of the things that you would want to grab back onto. And you will just follow Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's the golden rule, and we all know that one. But then he follows it with this, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, but those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I think we're going to get to heaven and this idea of eternity. I think I'm going to get to heaven and I may not even recognize it. Because my idea of what the, the kingdom looks like is so influenced by this world and this reality and my earthly possessions and all of those things that I, I might get there and I'm like, is this it? But immediately I will know that it's it because I'll see Jesus. And I know him. And I'll say, if that's where you are, then I am in the kingdom. And today, we get that same promise. We don't have to wait for eternity. If we are in the kingdom today, we get Jesus. We get to follow him. The call this morning is to repentance and belief. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe you've been holding on to these other things for your salvation, for your right standing with God. And he's saying, listen, you have to let go of those things. The only way that you can be right with me is if you are poor and needy and helpless and dependent. And in that place, I will meet you and I will give you everything you need in Christ. Maybe today you're seeing the loving look of Jesus for the first time as he calls you to follow him. I would encourage you, trust in Jesus. Let go of whatever it is you're holding on to. And we'll, we'll chase after him together. But there's also a call, like where are, do we need to repent of trusting in a functional Savior? Maybe it's not wealth for you. Maybe it's not possessions, but maybe it's family. Maybe it's um, your own ability to, to produce. Maybe it's your own ability to, to be right. Maybe it's your own moral uh, standing. Whatever it is, God's calling us to not trust in, in those things, but to trust in Him. And then finally, where is God calling you to walk in obedience today? <clears throat> I, as I began this, I was like, there was some trepidation. And then as I, I proceeded this week to read more and more, I was like, man, God, you are calling us to step out in faith, to come and follow you, to let go of some things that, are, that we're holding on to, and to be obedient as the people of God. I want to do that, God. I want us to do that. I want to see how you 
what you would do with that. Like, what would you do with 10 households that would say, I want to be obedient to wherever God calls me to go and whatever he calls me to do? Man, yeah, let's do it. Because God's going to change some things with that. He is changing things with that, and it's beautiful. Three things that maybe, maybe God's talking to you about, your time, your talent, your treasure. That's how we kind of talk about our resources as a people. What are some things that maybe you're holding on to that God's calling you to walk into obedience with? And then look for those things and say, man, I, I don't want to know what I can give up. I want to know how I can follow Jesus because that's what I want. I want to be with him. God, we thank you for today. God, we trust that the work of the Spirit is still continuing in our hearts. Lord, as you, as maybe we don't get get an idea right now in this moment, but Lord, later on in the week, maybe you reveal something to us that says, hey, here's an area where you can walk in obedience. Lord, and I pray that when we hear that, we would also see the loving look of the Savior. That we would see your face and we would know that anything I could give up pales in comparison to what I gain in Christ. God, not just know that in our heads, but believe it. And then as we get Christ, that we would enjoy it, that it would bring us uh, just such a, a fulfillment, Lord, that others would see it and say, what, what do you have, man? Because that's awesome. And we would say, I have Jesus. And you can have him too. So Lord, we thank you that you're doing that in your people for your glory. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would know you and trust you. God, we ask this in your name. Amen.